Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access and some exclusive content. Link will be down in the show notes. Well, I must say this past week has not lacked at all for drama. So as per usual with the weekly roundups, let's handle this in chronological order because we have to start pretty much right after I recorded last week's weekly roundup because apparently not even Sunday afternoons are safe from the news cycle anymore. So right after I finished recording that, um, news broke that portions of John Bolton's upcoming book have been somewhat leaked to the press. Um, I don't think a full manuscript has been leaked, but there have been reports coming out about what is in the book. And this started off a whole firestorm of shit. So basically the first thing that came out was that it, per Bolton in his book, Trump wanted to withhold Ukrainian aid specifically to force these investigations into Hunter Biden and Burisma and the 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 stupid email server. I I can't even focus on the stupid server anymore. It's just I I'm, I'm still baffled by the server conspiracy. Anyway, so that broke and allegedly this was something that was in the works starting all the way back in May of last year, which if you'll remember, the infamous perfect imperfect phone call was at the end of July. So this was something that had been allegedly being discussed from Trump to various sorts of people, apparently also including John Bolton, for months before that phone call. So it kind of blows a hole in this whole idea that A, had nothing to do with B, because it was being discussed prior to the phone call, way prior to the phone call. And like I've discussed before, even before the July 26th phone call, there were plenty of people in the Ukrainian government who had noticed that the military aid had not shown up and were asking questions, whether Zelensky himself knew at the time of the phone call, I don't know. But there were plenty of people who did know in the Ukrainian government. So this whole idea that it was like, Nobody knew, and then it just mysteriously, all the funds, they just got released. I'm like, stop it. That's fucking bullshit. Anyway, moving on, because there's a couple of other things that have been leaked over the past weekish or so, because it's been kind of like the slow, steady drip. The next thing that got leaked out to the press was that Bolton was not entirely comfortable with Trump's relationship with Turkey and China, specifically their leaders. He felt like they were a little too friendly with each other. And so, I mean, that in and of itself, yeah, I mean, cozying up to authoritarian leaders is not really a great look for an American president, but it's not anything that we didn't already know about. It hasn't already been discussed plenty of times and just, I mean, it's there. Apparently it's in the book. And by the way, the name of the book is What Happened in the Room, which is it just me or does that sound like this is going to be like a rape memoir? (laughs) I mean, not not to make a rape joke, but I, I saw that title and I was like, that's the title? That's what you went with? Okay, dude. Anyway, the one accusation that's come out this week that I think has got the least amount of press but would have the most serious ramifications if it has been proven to be true, which is that apparently during one of these meetings where it was being discussed 
withholding military aid to Ukraine. Um, one of the people that was in the room for one of these meetings was Pat Cipollone, which if you've been paying attention to the impeachment proceedings, uh, Cipollone is one of the White House defense lawyers. Why is this important? Because if this is true, then that sets up a massive, massive issue for Cipollone because ethically speaking, and when I say ethically speaking, I mean, if this is proven, this is something that he could be disbarred for. If you are representing a client in a specific case, as a lawyer, you yourself cannot be a material witness at the same time, which if Cipollone was in the room for one of these discussions, that does make him a material witness, which then sets up this massive conflict of interest. And that does have legal ramifications. What that would then mean for anything that was said or done in the Senate impeachment trial, I don't know. But it does set up this very, very sticky situation in which it looks like one of the members of the White House legal team should not have been based on the fact that for him to have done so is considered unethical to the point where you can be disbarred for it. So whether that will ever be conclusively proven for what it's worth, Giuliani's dumbass kind of like back asswardly said that it was true. Because when Giuliani was asked about it, um, he started out by by saying Bolton was lying, but then he kind of caught himself. He said, well, I'm not saying he's lying, but I'm going to say he's a scumbag for bringing it up. And it's like, okay, so you just pretty much backhandedly verified that this meeting did happen with Cipollone in the room. So, wow. Okay. <laughs> what? I mean, why? I, I swear to God, if I were Trump... I would never let Rudy Giuliani anywhere near an open mic, anywhere, ever, at any time, because every time that man opens his mouth, <laughs> I swear, I don't, I don't know what you have to do in life to deserve a personal lawyer like Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so bad. But anyway, that's, is kind of what started the snowball effect of this past week, or at least the beginning of the week, where you had these calls, even more so now, for witnesses to be allowed in the Senate impeachment trial, including Bolton, because of the revelations that were leaked out of this book, which nobody quite knows who leaked them to the press. But what was found out is that the transcript of the book in its entirety was sent to NSC for security clearance back in December. So the White House theoretically has known the contents of this book for about a month now, which when you realize that and then kind of start looking at how the defense of Trump has kind of shifted over the month of January and even going into the arguments that were made during the Senate impeachment trial by his defense team. That's very interesting if they knew the contents of Bolton's book, which, again, it's, it seems to be no, nobody seems to really know. I mean, the, the manuscript was sent in for vetting. But apparently this is all catching the White House unawares. So did anybody actually vet the manuscript? I, I don't I don't know. But for what it's worth, um, there's been no plans to not release the book. As far as I know, Simon & Schuster is still on board with releasing the book. It's already up for pre-order. So yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with that. But 
I, I can tell you this book is going to do numbers now, like massive numbers, because now, obviously, everybody is going to want to know the contents of the book because, because, obviously, the Senate voted to not allow any witnesses whatsoever to be called, even after the opening arguments and the arguments put forth by both the House impeachment managers and the White House legal team. Um, there was some some poor unfortunate souls who thought maybe, 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 because of the revelations that were leaked out of Bolton's book, that there would maybe be enough Republican senators who would be peeled off to vote yes for allowing witnesses in the Senate trial. Ultimately, no. It went down to a 51-49 vote. Um, every Republican voted to, well, not every Republican, two Republicans actually voted to allow witnesses in the Senate trial, and that would be Mitt Romney and Susan Collins. And of course, every Democrat voted to allow witnesses, and then every other Democrat voted to not allow witnesses, so we're not getting witnesses. Anyway, think of that what you will. Um, I think it's kind of bullshit, honestly, especially given the amounts of information that have come out just between the ending of the House trial and the beginning of the Senate trial. Not even just the the book revelations, but the GAO releasing their report saying that, yes, the withholding of aid to Ukraine did violate the impoundments clause. I mean, that's worth discussing. I mean, maybe get someone from GAO in there to discuss that. And you still have the, the issue of not having heard from certain key witnesses. I mean... <sighs> It seems very disingenuous to me for people to have bitched that the House didn't go through the whole subpoena process and then kind of hand wave away the Senate just not even allowing witnesses, not even attempting to subpoena anybody or to get any of these witnesses on record. And for what it's worth, Bolton did say that he would be willing to go testify before the Senate. So there's there's one key witness right there who was willing to go testify I mean, I just, I don't understand the logic behind not allowing witnesses. And in fact, I think even strategically, this was the wrong call for Republicans because, I mean, obviously the majority of Americans supported the idea of having witnesses in the Senate trial. And if you wanted to really stick it to Senate Democrats who are currently running for president, the way to do it would have been to prolong this trial. As it stands right now, and this is the official schedule for next week, uh, Monday and Tuesday will be closing arguments. The final vote will be Wednesday. So this is going to be wrapped up by the middle of next week. So any kind of argument that this was something that was going to impact the Senate Democrats who are running for president, I mean, that impact is nil. Like what? It cost them, uh, what, two weeks off the trail? I mean, okay, they might miss Iowa. They'll be there in plenty of time for New Hampshire and then everything past that. So even just even from a strategic standpoint, this is just a stupid decision. Plus, if you would have allowed witnesses in the Senate trial, then you could have claimed that moral high ground of, well, look at us. We are allowing the witnesses. We're going to go ahead and subpoena these people. We're going to challenge the subpoenas in court if these witnesses do not comply, we are the good ones and the House are the bad ones. 
But no, we're just going to gloss over this and do no witnesses whatsoever. And I just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I get it from the standpoint of Republicans wanting this to be over, but I just, I, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good precedent. It will be used again. Make no mistake. <laughs> and and that's, that's a problem that I have with so much of this process is that this is setting up some really ugly precedents that will be used again in the future. And sure, make the partisan argument all day. Sure. If you want to say that the process in the House was partisan, then the process in the Senate was partisan too. And, and one is not any better or worse than the other. Just because one House found the way that you wanted and the other House didn't, doesn't mean that all of a sudden partisan processes are okay. Or at least it shouldn't. I mean, if that is your criticism, then you need to criticize both Houses of Congress right now because both were done on partisan lines. In fact, I mean, at least you could say in the Senate that the vote to allow witnesses was a bipartisan vote. You had two Republicans. The vote to not allow witnesses was partisan. You had no Democrats. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm baffled as to why some people seem to think that's okay. I, I don't, I don't really get it. But anyway, what's done is done. The final vote will be Wednesday. Um... I mean, I'm sure they're going to vote to acquit him and it'll probably be along party lines. I mean, I'm sure Romney and Collins will probably vote to acquit. I mean, I'm not really expecting any Republicans to cross that line and vote to remove him. So, yeah, that's that. And for what it's worth, this is the way that I've always said it was going to end. And it's always been one of my problems with this. And I feel like it's something that should be discussed more. But, of course, we're probably not because there's just not a lot of will to discuss really what happened here. And I do think it's something that we're going to need a little bit of time away from to really evaluate exactly what the fallout of this is going to be. And by a little time away, I mean like a couple of years. I mean, it's it's going to take more than a couple of weeks to kind of figure this out. I mean, it's definitely going to be far past November, because obviously this is going to completely color the rest of this year and this year's presidential race. What's going to end up happening? I don't know. Does this embolden Trump? Probably. Does this fire up the Democratic base to get rid of Trump? Most definitely. How is this going to play out? Who the fuck knows? I guess we'll find out in November. But yeah, that's that was impeachment for this week, and obviously next week will be the last impeachment week, or it'll be, be impeachment half week. So yeah, I mean, I, that's, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I said, this is going to be one that's going to take a long time to really process kind of how how we feel about this and how we should feel about this and the kind of precedence this is setting up, not only for the impeachment process, but for executive power in and of itself. Because if you want to make the argument that what Trump did is not an impeachable offense, that's that's a mighty big claim to make, honestly. I mean, he did actually break a law. And I thought that was the gold standard was that, well, if the president broke a law, then there you go. And if the president didn't break a law, well, he did. He violated the Impoundments Act. 
So there's that. I mean, per the GAO. But uh, nobody seems to care about that argument anymore. I, I don't know. <laughs> I've seen so many people make arguments against the impeachment process. And I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But it seems to me that there is some rather cherry picking of facts going on and kind of people picking their stances and maybe having problems more with the process than with the actual charges or making the argument that, well, we shouldn't be giving foreign aid to anybody, so this is okay. It's like, well, no, there's a process for not giving out foreign aid and this ain't it. So is is it okay for a president to do something that's in violation of the law because it is a thing that you personally approve of? I don't know. I don't know. It's just been very weird for me to watch this, especially in the libertarian sphere. It's just like, I I thought, I, I thought curbing abuse of power was a thing, and I thought holding presidents accountable for violating the law was a thing, and it's not for some people. I don't know. Anyway, moving on from impeachment to some of the other things that happened this week, because there's a lot of stuff that happened this week. And even just finishing up this week, there's been some new fresh drama. So anyway, moving on. Um, On Monday, or actually no, on the 1st, that wasn't Monday, it was Tuesday, I think, Um, Brexit happened. So Brexit is official. The UK is no longer part of the EU. Yeah, I bet you didn't realize that happened, did you? It was news for like half a day, but it seems that so far, um, it, the the UK didn't fall into the ocean. Um, things aren't on fire. Uh, buildings didn't fall down. People didn't run screaming out into the streets. From what I've been able to gather, everything's just kind of been like business as usual. So yeah, Brexit. The big thing that was supposed to be the big thing that was supposed to just break everything just happened and nobody seems to care. (laughs) Like nobody seems to give a shit that Brexit finally happened. But it's just, it's funny sometimes how you can be afraid of things and things get hyped up and then it just finally happens and everyone's just like, oh, well, okay. And that's not to say that there isn't still stuff for the UK to figure out. I mean, obviously they have to figure out new trade deals. I mean, I guess the currency discussion has to come up because, I mean, I guess if you're not part of the EU, then you can't really use the euro anymore as one of your default currencies. So I don't know what that really means for people there. But yeah, it's been kind of, it just like, okay, we're we're not part of the EU anymore. I I guess we still have to wake up and go to work the next morning. (laughs) But it's just, it's been surprising how just kind of blasé everybody's been about it and and I get that there's like a ton of shit going on in the U.S. and a ton of shit going on everywhere but I expected Brexit finally happening to be a much bigger story than it actually was so maybe there there's something in there that is indicative of where we're at right now with our news cycles and how we process news and maybe, I I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, something that's been hyped for five years happened and then everyone's just like, oh, okay, whatever. But moving on from that, earlier this week, the White House 
finally launched their official Israeli-Palestinian plan thing. And guess what it is? Guess what it is? It's a two-state plan. Wow. How fucking novel. Nobody's ever thought of a two-state plan before. But yes, apparently the big brains in the White House, after all this time of sitting down and thinking about it and mulling it over and trying to come up with some kind of solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which, why is it our problem anyway? But the U.S. is the U.S., and for some reason we seem to feel like it is our responsibility to fix the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So their plan is to carve out a state of Palestine. And 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 it's it's been presented as this being a very generous plan to Palestine. And look, we're going to give you all this land and we're going to establish a state and we're going to kind of like chop up the West Bank and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And Palestinians, for their part, have pretty much been like, kick rocks with your two-state plan. For those of you who don't follow this, um, this is hardly the first time a two-state plan has been announced or tried or floated or even spoken of. And it's this is something that I don't talk a lot about because it's a genuinely difficult topic. And my my ideal would be for the US to stop being involved at all. I mean honestly like there's just I nothing good has come of it. Leave these people be, let them figure this shit out on their own, but to after all this time, still be espousing a two-state plan. Like, if Israel and Palestine were interested in a two-state plan, there would already be two states. I mean, (laughs) Republicans have been floating this idea for as long as I've been alive. Like, I'm just like, a two-state plan. That's your fucking plan. Wow, that's that's some big brain stuff right there. But... A two-state plan doesn't address the main problem with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is that both sides think that there should only be one state, and that state is their state, and that the other side needs to get the fuck out. And so a two-state's just not going to work. It's been tried. Like, this has been floated so many times. I cannot even begin to emphasize to you how many times a two-state plan has been floated. But that happened, and again, that's another one of those things that was part of the news cycle for like half a day. And it's one of those that in previous years, the White House announcing an official plan for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was something that was at least newsworthy for at least a couple of days. This got a couple of hours before we moved on to something else. I forget what we even moved on to. But we just moved on like, oh, okay. Things are happening so fast. And it really kind of distorts your sense of time sometimes. But we got to keep moving on because there has been some new, fresh drama in the Democratic debate cycle. And who is going to be allowed and who is, well, I'm not going to say not, but who is extra going to be allowed and what exactly is going to happen on Monday. So let's go ahead and start with the DNC changing the the qualification rules for debates starting later on this month. Not for this upcoming debate, because obviously that's already been set, but for the next debate, 
Actually, not the next debate. It's the last debate of this month. It's the one on the 19th. So for that one and then going forward, there is a new set of eligibility criteria. And let me read to you from the Politico article what the new eligibility criteria is, and you'll be able to see exactly what people's problem is with this. The Democratic National Committee is drastically revising its criteria to participate in primary debates after New Hampshire, doubling the polling threshold and eliminating the individual donor requirement. Candidates will need to earn at least 10% in four polls released from January 15th to February 18th, or 12% in two polls conducted in Nevada or South Carolina in order to participate in the February 19th debate in Las Vegas. Any candidate who earns at least one delegate to the national convention in either the Iowa caucuses or the New Hampshire primary will also qualify for the Nevada debate. So essentially what the DNC has done is they've eliminated the donor threshold and they bumped up the polling threshold. Now, why is this significant? Under the old rules, Bloomberg would never have been able to make it to a debate stage because as somebody who is entirely self-funding, he never would have met the donor threshold. Now there isn't a donor threshold. Now it's just polling thresholds. So now he can, quote unquote, buy his way onto the stage, which I, I can't speak for every market, but here in the Atlanta market, I swear to God, I must see at least six Bloomberg ads a day. Um, I heard that for the Super Bowl, he spent $10 million for a single ad to run in the Super Bowl. The man is spending money on advertising. I can personally attest to this. I forget. I saw the numbers of what he spent and it's, I forget the exact number, but it's astronomical and it's all his own money. I mean, I guess you can do whatever you want when you're a billionaire, but eliminating that donor threshold has certainly pissed off a lot of people, specifically people who supported Yang and support Gabbard and supported Booker, who are very pissed because when they asked for those donor thresholds to be lifted, the DNC told them no. And for what it's worth, here is the DNC's official statement as to why they eliminated the donor threshold. Now that the grassroots support is actually captured in real voting, the criteria will no longer require a donor threshold, said Adrian Williamson, a DNC spokeswoman. The donor threshold was appropriate for the opening stages of the race when candidates were building their organizations and there were no metrics available outside of polling to distinguish those making progress from those who weren't. Oh boy. So, yeah, a lot of people are pissed off at the DNC right now for changing the the donor thresholds after certain people have dropped out. And when those thresholds were used to keep certain other people off the stage, I'll admit it's not a good look for the DNC. And as somebody who has been very, very critical of the, the, the criteria for getting onto the debate stage, and I have been repeatedly calling for it, Ever since the first round of the debate, the DNC has to do something to start narrowing this window of people who make it onto the debate stage. You cannot have these insane long debates going into 2020. This is kind of bullshit. I mean, I I actually didn't hate the donor threshold sort of criteria. In fact, I wanted it raised. I didn't want it eliminated. I wanted it raised. 
So, I mean, it's it gives the appearance of kind of favoring certain people like Bloomberg. And that in conjunction with another incident that happened this past, I actually think it was just yesterday that the Des Moines Register, which the Iowa caucus is on Monday the 3rd. So usually the Des Moines Register, the weekend before the caucus, posts up their final poll of Iowa voters. They pulled their poll from running over the weekend, allegedly because somebody from Pete Buttigieg's campaign called into the DNC and said that they were told that one of the people who was phone caucused was not given the option to choose Buttigieg. Okay. I mean, I cannot independently verify this, but this is what the DNC has said. This is the story they're going with. There are a lot of conspiracy theories that kind of... This this pulling of that last poll on top of the debate rule change is making a lot of people on Team Bernie think, oh my God, the DNC is trying to fuck us over again, which I don't put it past the DNC. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they screwed him over once and I'm still baffled as to why he even bothered to run this year. Like I would have told the DNC, go fuck yourself. I'm not saving your asses. But the the rumor is that... And and there is some sort of evidence to this because Bernie's poll numbers have been rising. And especially in the wake of the Bernie Liz situation, um, his numbers have been rising and hers have been dropping like a rock. And there are polls out there showing Bernie in the lead. And so the rumor, the conspiracy theory is that the Des Moines Register poll showed Bernie as number one. And so... Somehow, some way, some nefariousness happened and the DNC leaned on them to not publish the poll. That's the rumor. That's that's the conspiracy theory. I mean, I put nothing past the DNC. I mean, it's, I, I mean after 2016, I, <laughs> oh my God. But yes, yeah, so now people in... Bernieville are very mad. People in Gabbardville and Yangville and Bookerville and probably even Harrisville, if anybody still even cares about Kamala Harris anymore, are all very pissed off at the DNC for various and assorted reasons, which is very interesting when you take a look at next week's slate. If you thought this week was bad, here is the schedule of events for this upcoming week. On Monday the 3rd, we have the Iowa caucus. Um, Monday and Tuesday, we also have the closing arguments for the impeachment trial in the Senate. On Wednesday, we have the final impeachment vote. Um, Wednesday and Thursday, there are CNN town halls. And then on Friday, there's a Democratic debate. Oh, and I forgot, on Tuesday, we have a State of the Union address. So yes, we have we we have Iowa caucus. We have State of the Union. We have impeachment vote. We have Democratic debate. And a couple of other things there. This next week, I'm I'm already tired. I'm already tired, and it's not even Monday yet. But 
Yeah, I gotta figure out a way to monetize this just to start covering the tab. I'm gonna run with my liquor store over the next week to try to make it through all of this. And obviously there's going to be a lot of content next week because usually I do an episode for the State of the Union. I do an episode for the Democratic debate. There's going to be plenty of other shit to talk about, especially after whatever is going to happen tomorrow in Iowa, because now, who knows? Who the hell knows? But I'm sure that is going to be a huge, huge story, especially if Bernie wins. After everything that's happened, if Bernie does manage to win the Iowa caucus, I I don't know what that's going to mean. (laughs) I don't know what that's going to mean for the Democratic debate that Friday, Oh my god, next week is going to be such a clusterfuck. It's going to be so bad. There's so much stuff going on. I'm already not looking forward to it, but there will be a lot of content. So, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up so I can go ahead and prepare myself mentally for next week. So, if you did make it this far, as always, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.